Good morning. If you will please open your Bibles to the end of Ephesians chapter 1, the very end, we're going to start there. Last week we went through Ephesians chapter 1, so we're just going to read the last two verses and continue into Ephesians chapter 2 today. Um, The words are not going to be on the screen, and that's because we want you to get familiar with your own Bibles. So if that's a Bible on your cell phone and you like to look, read your Bible there and take notes that you can save, that's cool. You can get your cell phone out. If you have a paper Bible, that's awesome. If you don't have a Bible, there are some kind of scattered throughout the pews. Kind of just look around and motion to somebody next to you like, hey, can you pass that down? If you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take the one that you find here. All right? That's our gift to you. We want you to have a Bible. We want you to write in it, mark it up, make notes in it, make it your own. Get familiar with the Word of God. So as Kathleen said, we're in a study on the book of Ephesians. And last week I opened with the questions, what is the church? And, and how are we to be the church? Those are important questions. I think especially today, we we talked about how people are struggling with disillusionment with the church. Not this church. I wasn't talking about caring community church. I was talking about the church in the United States, just in general, the Christian church. There's been a lot of things that have been happening that don't look and sound good. Um, We've let politics divide us, you know. A lot of people in the last two years have left the church or like switched churches over mask wearing or not mask wearing, you know. Um, we, a lot of people have left churches because they've been hurt. Because they've been hurt. There's been financial abuse, sexual abuse. Um, there's been just abuse of power. Uh, we have some denominations, Christian denominations, who are splitting over theological issues or abuse of power issues where pastors or denominational leaders were just bullies and manipulated people and intimidated to get what they wanted. And we see these kind of things happening in the church and, and, and it's disillusioning. The church is supposed to be what's bringing light and healing and hope to the world. And, and yet God is revealing that there's some toxicity among us. And so it may be time to get back to the basics and, and re-remember, okay, who are we and what are we really supposed to be about? And that's why Paul wrote Ephesians. The church in Ephesus and other area churches, the, the, this book Ephesians was actually circulated to a lot of different churches, but they were having problems. They were gossiping, brawling, there was sexual immorality, all this not good stuff was happening. And so Paul wrote the letter to the church of Ephesus in our Bible, the book of Ephesians, to address these problems. Who we are as a church What are we supposed to be like? What are we supposed to do? Ephesians has been called the constitution of the church. And last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, which is a declaration of dependence on Jesus Christ. Not a declaration of independence, but a declaration of dependence. And I want to start where kind of where we left off. We'll start at verse 22. 
And then we're going to read chapter 2 through verse 10, okay? And I think you're going to find this very enlightening. All right, verse 22. I'm sorry, i got to get another drink of water. All right. And God has placed all things under his, that's Christ, because Christ, in chapter 1, we Paul focused on how Christ has saved us, redeemed us, how we've been adopted, and all these things. And as a result, God has placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. That's for us, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So we, the church, are the body of Christ, and we are filled with the presence of Christ, and we are to take the presence of Christ into the world so that Christ fills everything in every way. This is a very big vision, all right? Continuing, chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's a reference to Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. A few years ago, zombie shows became very popular. Um, it, it starts popping up in different TV shows and movies, and there are some whole shows dedicated just to zombies. Did you, did, okay, who here has watched a zombie show? Like, fantasy? All right, thank you for your honesty. Yes. And um, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, okay? But the basic premise of a zombie show is that zombies attack humans, and humans have to kill the zombies to survive. Is, is that, that, that's basically it. Yeah. Why do zombies always attack humans? They have to eat the brains. They have to eat the brains. Why do they have to eat the brains? I don't know. I think it's because they don't have one or something. You know, like, they just, they crave brains. And they're like, and then, like, I am so glad this is not being videotaped. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It's like they crave the brains, right? And then what happens when they eat a brain? Brains. Yeah. Like they just want more. It's like they have a one-track mind, right? That They're just controlled by this craving for brains. It's all they think about. Some of you think it's great we're talking about zombies. Some of you are like, why on earth is a pastor talking about zombies? Because <laughs> that's exactly how Paul describes us without Christ. He says, you're not alive. Amen. You're not really living. You are dead in your sins. You see, we are born... Created in the image of God, this beautiful masterpiece with a purpose. But our sin kills us to that. 
It makes us dead to our original identity. The world is full of zombies, people who are not really living, who are trying desperately to find their identity so they can feel alive. And we all have these deep insecurities. Nobody feels like a masterpiece. Nobody really knows what their true purpose and identity is. And so we're controlled by these cravings to feel alive, to feel like we have a purpose, to feel like there's some meaning. And different ones of us, we try to fill this craving in different ways. For some people, we try to feel alive and important through achievement. And we're very driven by achievement, whether that be athletic achievement or vocational achievement, being more successful. And, you know, we're just like, must be faster, must be stronger, must achieve, you know, like, and it just rules our life. Some of us are driven. I've seen this in a lot of women. To have the perfect family life. Success in family. You know, we, we want the HGTV home. Which always changes. Every, every season now, right? Like you have to redo something. And, um, and perfectly groomed children. You know, and perfectly healthy meals. Farm to, farm to family, right? Farm to family. And, and, and if our home life and family life doesn't look as pretty as this one over here, then we feel like a failure. And we're just driven by this need to have a perfect home life. And I see women exhaust and depress themselves trying to be perfect. For some people, they try to feel alive and important through romantic relationships. You know people like that? Like one relationship ends and within two weeks they have another boyfriend or girlfriend. Like they just can't be without. Like must have cute boyfriend. (laughs) Must have hot girlfriend. You know, hey. They feel like they're not complete without that. Some people, it's their physical appearance. And they become obsessed with what they look like. And what happens when success or family life or romance or beauty, what happens when those things don't fulfill the craving? Then, then we go to material substances, right? Things we can buy, food, drugs. Or we try to numb the zombie life with the same stuff, with food or drugs or distraction, binging on social media, binging in video games. There's a whole people who are just like escaping their life, trying to feel alive through video games. Porn. You know, it's like, must have food, must binge Netflix. Like we're just, 
says, you're not really living. You're not really living. We're dead people trying to feel alive by filling our cravings. We're a bunch of zombies and we keep bumping into other zombies and getting irritated with each other. Let me read it again. Chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Are zombies objects of wrath? Let's be honest. The only reason they show up in the TV shows is so people can, like, chop their heads up and blow them up and, like, right? Nobody worries about hurting a zombie's feelings. Because we recognize they're just leeches, you know? Objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God did not save you because you were so adorable as a zombie. It is grace. Grace is a free gift we don't deserve. It's because of his great mercy that he saves us. And he brings us back to life. Verse 4 again. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So God not only brings us to life, but he raises us up with Christ. That doesn't mean a physical place, like we're in another dimension seated in the heavenly realms. It's a reference to levels of authority. So there's like authority in your home, there's authority in the city, the mayor, there's the governor, there's the president. The highest realm of authority is the heavenly realm. And God has seated you in the heavenly realm and given you authority at that level. Why? So you may rule under Christ like we were originally designed to. Genesis 1 The beginning of your Bible. God creates the world, right? And he makes humankind in his image so that they may rule. Over the land and the sea, over the fish and the birds. That's Genesis 1. It's what you were originally created for. And so God brings us back to life and restores our authority to rule under Christ. Why does he do this? Verse 7. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace 
expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God does this so that when people think, oh man, God is harsh. God doesn't care. God's abandoned this world. But they look at you and they see what has happened in your life and what God has done. Then they see that God is good. That God is kind. God brings us to life, raises us up, gives us authority so that we become expressions of his kindness to the world. Eight, verse eight. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul is really hammering home that we are saved by the grace of God. I need somebody to do a zombie impersonation for me. Jason, Jason, come on. No, no, let's see what you got, buddy. I bet you can beat me. (laughs) He's a very happy. (laughs) So God looks out and sees all these zombies. And he offers us a free gift. Is it brain? Now, can Jason boast about that? Like, did he get that heart because he was the best zombie of all the zombies? <laughs> no. It's a free gift. There's nothing he did to earn it except embarrass himself in front of all of you. (laughs) But there's nothing he did to earn it. We don't, there's nothing good that we do that earns salvation. It's a free gift. Thanks, Jesus. It's a free gift. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship. That that word there means artwork. We're his masterpiece. You know, um, people love to go and see masterpieces and get their pictures taken in front of them. Um, you know, like they love to go see the Mona Lisa. You can't take a picture of that. Or the Taj Mahal or the Eiffel Tower. In the United States, it might be Mount Rushmore. Uh, last year, my family and I, we went to see the Grand Canyon. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's awesome. It's amazing. And everybody there is taking pictures of it or doing this, you know. Like, we have a lot of those kind of shots. My husband always takes them because he has the longest arms. <laughs> we don't need a selfie stick with him, you know. <laughs> so, um, and, and I just think, you know, God is there. And if, 
if God is there, I, I can just imagine him thinking, like, you know, if it was me, I, I wouldn't be taking a picture of the Grand Canyon. I'd be taking a picture of you. Amen. Like, I want to get my picture taken with you and you. Because you're the masterpiece. You're the masterpiece. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance. There's other scriptures that talk about, even while you were forming me, even before you formed me in my mother's womb, you had appointed me to do, go do this. God has prepared from before you were born things for you to do and specifically designed you for those things. Now, what are those things? Well, you know, they vary from person to person. But we started in chapter 1 because that gives us the category of the kind of things that we're supposed to be doing. We look back. Verse 22 says that we are the church, which is the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's the kind of good work that you're created for. To take the presence of Christ into dark areas of this world. So that the fullness of Christ is in every nook and cranny. Amen. And you can't do that by yourself. I can't, like, I cannot be everywhere, right? But it's something we do together. And there are places and moments in time that only you can bring the presence of Christ to. Ephesians uh, verse 1, verse 23, it not only gives us the category of things we're supposed to be doing, like filling everything with the presence of Christ, it, always, it also sheds light on how we're a masterpiece. You gotta marry the ideas in chapter 2 verse 10 with the ideas in 1 verse 23, okay? Chapter 2 verse 10 says that we are God's masterpiece created in Christ. Verse 23 says we are the body of Christ. What makes you a masterpiece is that you are part of the body of Christ. The greatest masterpiece of all. One of the reasons that people struggle so hard to accept that they're special, to accept that they're a masterpiece, to know their identity, is we try to find our identity in our individuality. As an individual, I'm not that special. If I try to find my identity and my individuality, you know what? There's always going to be someone who's smarter than me. There's always someone who's going to be a better speaker than me. There's always going to be someone who's more beautiful than me or younger than me. You know, like, my identity is not in my individuality. My identity and what makes me special is that I'm part of the body of Christ. Think about the Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa, like one of the greatest masterpiece paintings of all time. People stand in line t- for hours to see it, right? And it's like they get to see it for three seconds and then you got to go. And like you stood in line for three hours for that. 
Now imagine somebody like cuts out the nose and frames a picture of the Mona Lisa nose. Nobody knows it's from the Mona Lisa. It's just this picture hanging up of a nose. Are people going to stand in line for hours to see that nose? No, it's a nose. By itself, it's not that special. What makes it a masterpiece is that it's part of the Mona Lisa. And that's true of every part of the Mona Lisa. The eyes, the smile, the hair, the weird things happening in the background. Like, none of them are special on their own. What makes them special is they're part of the Mona Lisa. And that's how it is with you and I. What makes us special, our identity, what makes us a masterpiece is we're part of the body of Christ. You have a unique part in the body of Christ that nobody else has. You are created at a specific moment in time. You are at specific places in time. You have been designed with a specific set of gifts and personality that can bring the presence of God to places no one else can, at times that nobody else can. At work, at school, in your neighborhood, to your friends and family, co-workers. You know, you're at school and there's that new kid sitting all by themselves, looking all awkward and dejected. You have the ability to bring the presence of Christ to them. When coworkers are bickering and complaining, you have the ability to bring the presence of Christ to them. And it's not like you're bringing a fruit basket. You bring the presence of Christ that heals, that transforms the Prince of Peace, that brings people to life. That is what you carry. That is what you bring to the table. That is your superpower, and that's why you're a masterpiece. That's a purpose worth living for. And yet so often, we accept God's gift of new life, and we just don't know how to tap into this incomparably great power for us who believe. And so we end up going back to the zombie life because that's what everybody else around us is doing. That's what we see modeled for us. And we forget our true purpose. And we forget our identity. Your identity is not in your individuality. It's not in what you crave. It's not in what you desire or who you are attracted to. Your identity is who you are in Christ. And I pray that God will awaken you to your identity. And I pray that caring community is a church that helps people realize their identity and equips them not just to serve in the church, but to be the presence of God wherever God has placed them, wherever they live, wherever they work. Some of you are exactly where God wants you to be. Like you are in the right neighborhood, you are in the right job or in the right school. And as a church, we just have to help you 
equip you to know how to bring Christ's presence to that place and maybe link you up with some other people. Jesus always sent people out by twos, you know. Some of you aren't where you're supposed to be. You know, let's just be honest. Sometimes we just get stuck in a job or we get stuck in a stage of life because we don't know what else to do. And God begins to breed this kind of like holy discontent in us. And maybe even birth some dreams that seem too crazy. Oh, I couldn't possibly do that. The church is a place to explore those dreams. Those God-given dreams. Because you were made to rule. Not in your own authority, but in God's authority. And to bring His presence into the world. So let's get creative. Let's dream those dreams. Let's get imaginative about how you can do that. We have a few more weeks to explore Ephesians. I hope you keep reading it every week. Six pages. Let it seep into your souls and keep praying those prayers for one another. Pray for one another that we will better understand how to be the church. And pray that we'll know God better and the hope to which we're called. I want to pray now. I want to close with some prayer. We have some people who are, who are going out. Um, Reuben. Reuben III has been a part of Caring Community Church since 1996. And this is his last Sunday with us. Because he is moving to Chicago and taking the light of Jesus Christ with him. And we want to bless him and pray for him in that. We have several students who are going back to schools we can pray for. We have a new little life in our church. On Tuesday, Elias David was born to DJ and Talia Kunkel. We want to pray for him and for them. We want to keep praying for one another so that we know how to be light in this world. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for saving us from the zombie life. I thank you that you have given us a great purpose and a great ability. And I pray that you will awaken us to that, God. It's so easy to get distracted by what we see and so hard to realize the potential and what we do not see. So God, I pray you awaken the eyes of our hearts to see where you are at and where we can bring your presence and how we are to do that. God, I thank you for Reuben and his devotion to you and your church. I pray you bless him. We know that you go with him as he goes to Chicago. God, we pray your favor upon him. And we pray that you open his eyes to see the people and places 
that he is to go, the people he's to connect with, and how he's to shed your light and be your presence in Chicago. God, we thank you for all the students who are going back to school. I remember when I, every year, I'd be so nervous to go back to school. God, we pray that you give them peace and help them know that they don't go to school alone, but they go with you. And God, we pray that you open their eyes so that they know they're more there for more than just learning like math or science or, or whatever it is, God. But they are there also to take your presence to people who death, desperately need your presence. And we pray for our teachers and school administrators, God. We thank you for their service. And we know it has been a hard job. It has been a tiresome job. We pray you give them rest. We pray you give them favor. We pray, God, that this will be a year where things start to click and work together instead of being a year of constant obstacles. And God, I pray for our teachers and school administrators that are Christians, that you would help them bring your presence into the school system so that our schools may do the best job they can possibly do. And that there would be unity and truth in our schools. And God, we pray for all of us. There's factory workers, managers, Nurses, God, God, we pray that you would help us know who we are and what we carry inside of us and the authority that you've given us so that we can be your presence and a light to this world. That we won't get pulled down by the problems of this world, but that we could help bring the solution, the Christ, the you, to the problems of this world, God. Help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in the precious name of Christ. Jesus our Lord. Amen.